Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Donette Hansen from Rainbow Lodge coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a Houston hospitality veteran and a co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. We follow him on Instagram at FulmerHOU. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm good. Just came from the dentist, a little dental surgery, so I may slur a little bit, but I'm fine. Yeah, I, I this we're going to get a slightly more honest, slightly more loopy version of Michael Fulmer on this week's show. I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, okay, I'll name names. <laughs> All right. In the spirit of that, let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, we have big burger news. Starts with uh, Chris Shepard. His company, Underbelly Hospitality, will open Underbelly Burger at the Houston Farmer's Market. It's a small restaurant, only 12 seats. It will serve a slightly tweaked version of the cease and desist burger made famous at Hay Merchant. Uh, I asked about the differences. They are that the bun has sesame seeds and they have added shredded lettuce on top. Otherwise, it is a standard cease and desist burger. Uh, Michael, let me throw it to you. What do you think about Underbelly Burger as a fit for what's going on at the Houston Farmer's Market? It makes perfect sense. I mean, a burger is always good just about everywhere, and that area could use, I think, yet another one. Um, The cease and desist burger, I can say, with all veracity, is fantastic. Uh, I actually, the first time I had it, I went in kind of arms crossed going, okay, whatever, and I was so impressed. It's just, it's a great burger. I've had it a couple of times. Um, and that just makes sense for them. I, it, it's a farmer's market. I think you want that kind of sandwich, easy dining experience. You don't want to put anything too fancy in there. So yeah, good idea. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I mean, you know, the, the market has been transformed, right? The, the produce vendors have this whole new area with stalls. It's, it's covered. It's a little more comfortable. There's new bathrooms. There's a green space. It's, it's sort of pitched to be like a family-friendly sort of food destination. And, you know, a restaurant that serves burgers and chicken sandwiches and hot dogs, you know, if you're going there with a family, that that seems perfectly suited to sort of, you know, a casual lunch. You could sit out on that green space, you know, maybe have a beer, maybe have a boozy milkshake. Uh, yeah, it just seems like such a smart addition to the market. Yeah, and, you know, I've always wanted, you know, food halls for Houston. And then we had the proliferation of them and then and COVID really, I mean, talk about some of the worst, you know, avenues hit in the restaurant industry by COVID was food halls. Uh, and this being, you know, partially open, mostly open air to a great extent. Um, I think it's great moving forward. I think it's what Houston needs. I think Chris, you know, being behind it and curating uh, is, is a good thing too. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, I've, I've had Matt Harris on the show a couple of times. We've sort of talked about what's happening at the market. You know, Chris's company is going to open Wild Oats with Chef Nick Fine, kind of elevated Texas cuisine. Crawfish and Noodles is opening their second location there. Um, what do you what do you kind of think about what's happening at the market and, and how do you view it? Uh, you know, is this is this going to be our Reading Terminal market, our... Uh, you know, Seattle Pike's Place Market. I mean, that's the that's the goal. Well, it's it's 
not that big. And of course, it'll take a while to really kind of, you know, really engender itself to, you know, the the city uh, and, and to gain that kind of rep. But it's a step completely in the right direction. And, you know, I don't even want to start too big. You know, I, I think it's big enough. So, you know, is there a little room for growth there? There is. Um, I used to go to that market quite a bit. You know, it was a great way to get chilies I couldn't find elsewhere or good prices on avocados, you know, and then the taco trucks there, particularly Tacumbaro, you know, were a great experience, uh, you know, but, you know, in the summer, incredibly hot there, certainly no bathrooms, but I never expected that. So they're, they're elevating it. And that plays right into, I mean, look, they're right next to the Heights, which is just exploded, you know, with homes that are just increasing in value seemingly every week. And yet there seems yet to be another big sort of A-list apartment being built. So um, it's you're going to have the right crowd there. And Chris, is, I think, is a good name to draw them in. And and the people that he's bringing in, like Trong, I know he's got a good relationship with Trong of Crawfish and Noodles. Um, he's got a great rep. And they do things besides crawfish that are, you know, uh, certainly attractive and compelling, like the crab. So, yeah, thumbs up both ways on this. Yeah, and and more announcements coming. I mean, they're they're not ready to sort of say exactly, but the they're sort of hinting there's going to be a general store uh, concept. You know, they're going to do coffee at some point. They have there's got to be a coffee uh, place. Yeah, yeah, and they have some sort of food court. They have like like the guts for the plumbing for like some sort of food court style stalls with the with the produce vendors. So you know that could be a really interesting. Uh, kind of startup, you know, like if you're uh, if you're like one of the vendors at the farmer's market, the, the Urban Harvest Saturday market, for example, kind of looking to take that next step. Maybe you don't want a full brick and mortar. Uh, you could open at the farmer's market in one of those stalls. That's that's all very appealing to me. Yeah, it's not far off the highway from 45. You know, it's only a couple blocks, um, you know, airline. Hopefully we'll start seeing Houston roads getting you know, a little more attention in the next uh, year or two. We can only hope. Uh, airline certainly needs it, but it's not in horrific shape like some other roads. And so that makes it very accessible. Plus, if you go just a little bit further north, then you're right on 610. So it's at a good juncture uh, where uh, it makes it very accessible, not just to the localities, but it could be destination worthy. Absolutely. All right. Let us move on to Burger News. Topic number two. Vandalay Hospitality, the Dallas-based restaurant group that we know here in Houston for East Hampton Sandwich Company, is bringing Hudson House, their kind of fancy burger joint, to uh, the River Oak Shopping Center. This is coming right next to Brasserie 19. They do a very classic uh, double patty cheeseburger. Uh, they also do raw oysters, cocktails, wine, uh you know, lobster rolls, the whole thing. Um, you know, I think East Hampton kind of had its, it's a very brief moment. Uh, the Montrose location closed, the River X District location closed. They're still downtown at understory. Uh, but this is a little more sophisticated, maybe a little more polished. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Are you intrigued by Hudson House? Well, I loved East Hampton, you know, great sandwiches. Um, I, a little dubious of the location. Uh, I think, as you mentioned, you know, they're right next to Brasserie 19, which 
has a very built-in, very loyal uh, crowd uh, with a specialty in aggressively priced wines with, you know, uh, really well done oysters on the half shell, you know. Uh, so, you know, sometimes like you can put your competition right next to each other and it makes sense. Uh, here, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I would be a little reticent as an investor. But, you know, we'll see. I mean, we're, we're the consumers. So, um, right. I mean, uh, I, I had that same thought that if they're both going to feature a raw bar, uh, raw oysters, you know, shrimp cocktail, seafood towers, the whole thing, uh, you know, it's, it's a little bit unexpected to go right, you know, two restaurants that basically do the same thing right next to each other. That's pretty unusual. Um, certainly they'll distinguish each other with different atmospheres, right? Hudson House. Uh, you know, maybe a little more East Coast, maybe a little more casual. Uh, Brasserie 19, of course, very CNBC and very buzzy. Um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I had the same thought that it, it seemed like the locate, like I'm intrigued by the concept. I'm excited to try the burger. Um, and Lord knows, I mean, I'm, I've never, I've never turned down a, a raw oyster, but uh, it does seem like the, the location seemed like kind of a strange fit. Yeah, yeah, it it does, uh, and they can't get into a price war with them, you know, because they're that's they're not going to win that. That's going to be a, a loser for both of them, and nobody wants that. Um, are they really Vandalay Industries? <laughs> Vandalay really? Hospitality, yes, Hospitality. I, I, that's just uh, you know the whole for you know the younger crowd. Maybe that's you know the Seinfeld uh, reference uh, that George was always working for Vandalay Industries. Uh, that, uh, that that's hilarious that they chose that. Yeah. Or an incredible coincidence, which I find hard to believe. No, I'm sure it's not a coincidence. I'm sure it's a very deliberate Seinfeld reference. I, I suppose at some point I should have uh, the Vandalay guys on to sort of talk about how they they came up with that. But uh, segued from being architects and marine biologists to restaurateurs. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And of course, you know Seinfeld's on Hulu or, or Peacock or one of those for anybody who. Uh, doesn't get the reference, you know, that's all well documented on the internet. You can look that up for yourself. Um, and then uh, finally, let's do topic number three. Houston Restaurant Weeks announced that it's back. It will run from August 1st through Labor Day. A uh, couple of interesting changes I, I think are worth noting. Uh, first of all, the $45 top level price point is now a $49 top level price point. Uh, and in a nod to the fact that restaurants are still recovering from the pandemic, uh, their donation to the food bank has been diminished slightly. So uh, instead of a $7 donation on a $45 menu, it's a $5 donation on a $49 menu. And instead of a $5 donation for the $35 menu, it's a $3 donation. Um, and and I, I know that's that's a lot. And I can furiously, I can see people you know listening to this trying to write all that down. Don't worry. It's all documented in a, a culture map article. That's very easy to read. Uh, Fulmer, I say all that to say to you, do you think that this slightly increased price point and getting to keep a little more of the revenue might draw in some new restaurants that have maybe not participated in HRW in the past? It, you know, they're, they're, they always get some drop off and some back. Um, I think it, it's really important to keep the ones they have because I know having talked to several restaurant owners, chefs, you know, who are controlling their food costs that, you know, there are, 
there, there becomes issues with doing the, you know, HRW. Um, it's a great promotion for them, but some restaurants see, you know, lots of people coming for HRW and then they never see them again. Um, but a lot of them, you know, I think for a great portion, this is a very good thing. It, you know, raises awareness on them. It brings people in who haven't normally done it. Um, and by raising the price a little bit, I think people are still, they, they understand what's happened to the restaurant industry in the last year. And they're, you know, they're empathetic to that. And I think just a few dollars difference, uh, they're going to be willing to pay. Um, I also thought it's, you know, admirable that they did it this year that, you know, uh, that um, they didn't skip. I, you know, kind of just keeps it in the consciousness. I think that was important for them to do that. Uh, so, yeah, I think these are all positive moves. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm, you know, this is, this is, you know, the timing of when Cleverly Stone, the, the founder of HRW passed away last year was right, basically this time, right at the end of May, you know, her daughter, Katie Stone was kind of thrust into taking over for her mom at the last minute. Uh, you know, this year, Katie has had basically a full year to get ready for this. I think, you know, she's got a vision of how she wants to grow HRW you know, she's got a great team of people supporting her. And, you know, this is this is an important year, I think, for HRW because, you know, it's uh, new leadership and, and uh, new prices and, and a new chance to kind of uh, bring in restaurants that maybe haven't done it before and, and still. But I will say that this event remains incredibly popular with diners, right? Diners are all in on, on HRW. Yeah, I mean, people when they when they finally launch the website, uh, and then menus start popping up, uh, you know, people just start making their plans, you know, and I, I think that's great. I'm curious as to whether Steak Forty Eight will take part in it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't, know. I don't see that being it. There, there are there is a certain class of restaurants that it, it has never made sense for. Uh, very busy, very expensive steakhouses are one of them, right? Like, we'll, we won't see. We won't see Steak 48 on there. I don't think we'll see Doris Metropolitan. I don't think we'll see Turner's. Uh, but you will see, but you know, Ben Berg, BNB Butchers always does very well with with uh HRW. You know, Vic and Anthony's is always full for HRW. Right. And now, you know, the Del Frisco's has always been, it's always been a big deal for them. And even though they're now a Landry's, you know, operation, I don't see that changing, you know, too much. I think they'll still aggressively go after them. Uh, I know Pappas, uh, Pappas Brothers has come on and come off before. So we'll see about that. Right. Yeah. I mean, we'll see. We'll, you know, the, the menus go live July 15th. They'll add a whole bunch between the middle of July and the beginning of August. And then there's always a couple of stragglers that sort of trickle in that first week. But, but certainly, uh, you know, I will say to any sort of restaurateurs that are listening to this, right, not participating in HRW is making a deliberate choice not to be as busy as you might otherwise be if you participated in it. And, and that's just a reality. And, and some people, right. Some diners, it's like you, you want that break. You want to, you want to go to a restaurant that's maybe a little less busy. And, and so that's an opportunity, but it's just, it's so popular. Yeah. I know some restaurants that do fine without it and they'll even, I've known owners and restaurateurs, uh, who have just said, look, I'm just going to cut a check directly to the food bank. I don't want you guys to think. And it's not even necessarily a PR move. That's just what they do. 
but for the most part, yes, very much so. I, I think actually you and I went to, I had my first experience at Perry's Steakhouse, a place I normally really wouldn't go to, had the famed pork chop, which I was convinced we're just going to be okay and it was fantastic no it's it's one of those dishes you have to eat it's so good well and and i think what's appealing about hrw is you get a lot of the best restaurants in town to participate right uh donette hansen who's about to be on the show rainbow lodge does it every year brennan's does it every year hugo ortega does it every year cultivare is on that list so there are savvy successful restaurants that figure out how to make it work it's not just the chains and that's part of what's made it so successful. Yeah. And, and having bumped the price a little bit allows more of those upper tier places to put something beyond the staid, you know, chicken breast, small piece of salmon and petite filet. And so they can offer something uh, that's a little more uh, attractive to, to the, the dining guests, you know, and, th- and that's a good thing. Absolutely. All right. That does it for the news of the week. We'll be right back with our restaurants of the week. Stick around. Michael, for our restaurants of the week, I want to talk to you about two places. Let's start with Gatsby's Steakhouse. This is the new restaurant on Montrose Boulevard in the space that uh, was previously home to Pax Americana, very briefly home to BB Lemon. You are a restaurant professional. You work at a steakhouse. You've worked at other steakhouses over the the many years I have known you. Uh, You love, I I think it's fair to say you love steakhouses. Yeah. Too strong? Um, I love them. I don't go to them often. Um, But, you know, when I do, it's like a really, like I went to, you know, Pappas for my birthday. Uh, uh, so it's like a special occasion thing for me. And uh, it's, it's a real pleasure sometimes to do that. All right. So as my steakhouse expert, what did you think of Gatsby's? Very impressed. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a intimate space. Um, right off the bat, the service was outstanding. You know, it's very attentive without being overbearing. It's a, generally a silent service. Uh, they get the little things right. They're serving, you know, uh, from the left, they're removing from the right. Uh, they, you know, they don't stick their elbow in your face, um, but they're not like robots either. You can converse if, if you wanted to. And, and they'll, if you, you know, if you invite them in, um, the thing that really like the, it was just a real showstopper was their seafood tower. Uh, you know, seafood towers for me can be you, you see them everywhere now and they can be rather disappointing where they're throwing just bunches of golf oysters or, you know, maybe some less desirable seafood on there and charging exorbitant prices. And uh, it was just the shrimp on there, the lobster, yeah, the dry ice made it incredibly dramatic. Uh, but it was all, it was just, it was fantastic. I would get that again in a heartbeat. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and you talked about some of those kind of, uh, old school touches. I mean, the, the one that comes to mind for me is, you know, we did the salad course and they served it to us on cold plates with cold forks. You know, yeah. it's just a, it's, it's a real thoughtful, it's a little thing, you know, does it make it taste better? I don't know, but I, I really respect the, the kind of attention to detail that comes with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And 
Um, you, you know, and surprisingly, it's actually very reasonably priced. I mean, okay, if you want a premium steakhouse experience, you, you, you're going to have to open the wallet, okay? Um, you know, cheap steak is kind of like cheap sushi. You really you just don't want it. Um, and we had a tomahawk ribeye. It was from Snake River Farms. It was the Snake River Farms Gold. It was their Wagyu. Uh, and I think we shared it among four of us, if I recall. Three of us. Three of us, three of us, yeah. And it was still, it was just, it was fantastic. It, it was really well prepared, came out exactly as we ordered it. It was more than, it was enough food for all of us. Uh, and the quality was outstanding, you know, and let's face it, we can all cook steaks at home, but, you know, one, are you cooking prime at home? One, do you have access to a broiler that reaches 2000 degrees or more, you know, where you're getting that kind of char on it? Uh, and then there's the little touches and, they, you know, they hit all those marks and it made it a great and it made it a value experience, which can sound almost absurd, you know, at those prices. But it, I, I felt like a value experience, you know? Yeah, no, no. I mean, I completely agree with you. I thought I thought they got all the little details right. Y- you know, it's not they're not this is not uh, Doris Metropolitan or Georgia James. Right. They're not trying to reinvent the, the concept. They're not trying to do anything particularly innovative. It's just a super classic menu, uh, very well executed, very comfortable room. And I like that it's a little smaller than some of the other places. You know, you feel like you get a little more personal attention. It's a little more manageable. I, I, I was very impressed. Yeah, it makes it feel more like a, a neighborhood place, too. And there's really no steakhouses over there, you know. So for Westview, you know, Montrose residents, you know, Med Center to some extent, this is someplace they can go uh, where they don't have to think, well, I have to go to the Galleria. I have to go downtown or I have to go to a chain. You know, it's like they have that. Um, something else worth noting is their wine list is pretty aggressively priced, you know, in a good way. Um, so you'll find reds, sparklings at, you know, very agreeable prices. Kind of interesting that they have more Pinot Noirs than they have Cabernets right now. But, you know, that's obviously something they can tweak and change as they go. You know, there's not, you know, it's not a big place. So for people who don't understand, like they can't put a huge wine list or a huge inventory there because they only have so much space to store it. So they have to be very sort of circumspect about what they choose. And it, it seems to be well chosen, you know, certainly for the beginning. And, and the prices are, like I said, are very agreeable. Yeah, almost to the point where it's like, you should be charging more for this. Like you, you yeah. can survey the market <laughs> and look at what other restaurants are charging for this. And you can come, you could charge a little more for some of these. And it's, it's big names for the most part, you know, it's, uh, it's familiar labels, which is fine. I mean, that, that stuff sells, you know, classic cocktails, the same idea. Yeah. You're going to see the silver Oak and Jordan and, and, and Faust, uh, you know, so, you know, if they want to branch out to something more, a little more boutique, they can do that. But, you know, these are tried and true ones. They're playing it very safe with that. And, uh, they're pricing it. Like, I think I told it to the manager. I go, you should increase your prices. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. But uh, you know what? I would, I would, I think like the best thing you can say about uh, the restaurant experience is, would you go back? And I'm like, I definitely would go back. I want to go back. Well, you anticipated my last question. So that seems like a good place to wrap up Gatsby's. Uh, and then for our second restaurant, I want to talk to you about Mastrantos. It's a restaurant in the Heights. It opened, um, it's been open for about a year and a half. And it, and I, I kind of went when it first opened, 
kind of fell off my radar. Uh, they very generously invited me to come back. I took you for dinner. Um, let me just put it to you. I mean, what did you what did you think of Mistrantos? Because I think it was your first visit. It was, and I wasn't sure. Like, is this a Venezuelan place? As the owners are, and it's not. You know, they have this the, the Venezuelan heritage, but they're 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 definitely all in on the pasta. I mean, there's a pasta making station behind glass where you see them making pasta during the shift. So, you know, it, it really, it's a great visual and the quality of the pasta was very good. They're, they, they don't just make it well, they, they prepare it well. It was not, you know, sometimes it can be too al dente or it's like overwrought and overdone. It was not, it was cooked perfectly. Um, it, I guess that for me, it almost was like a tapas place, you know, where there's these smaller dishes uh, it's meant to be shared. And we I saw that at all the tables around us that everybody was sharing. The lamb tartare was fantastic. Uh, and then for some of the bigger ticket items or the entrees, if you will, uh, I think we had uh, a redfish. Uh, it was blackened and it was huge. I mean, it was easy to share. I mean, it was a very healthy portion and cooked really well. Um, and it was really nice getting some of the backstory on, on some of the dishes too. They, they clearly have a lot of pride, you know, in what they do and what they've done, you know, and and this comes from the heart and some of these may sound a bit like a a little bit of a big cliche, but it really, I mean, it felt really came through for me. Like, you know, this is really, I really want to come back here and, and enjoy more. Yeah. I mean, even the stuff that sort of sounded a little bit like, I, I, you know, it didn't necessarily read well, or I was a little bit uncertain about, I mean, you know, their version of pasta carbonara with chorizo uh, and an egg yolk, you know, that feels like a dish and they're honest. It's like, yeah, it kind of is inspired by the flavors of a breakfast taco. And you think like, Ooh, this could go either way. Uh, we couldn't stop eating it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, uh, you know, being a food snob, like a carbonara snob, is it's like it's a very antiquated thing. I, and I, something I move away, I've moved away from it as much as I can. And carbonara is one of those dishes where I just I really like the original incarnation of it. And when I see, you know, people tweaking it and doing this and putting their name on, I'm like, look, just call it something else. But you know what? It was awesome. The chorizo with it was fantastic. Uh, I would totally order that again. Yeah, I mean, we had a pork chop, and then we had that piece of snapper at the end that was really outstanding. God, it was so good. Crispy skin, nicely cooked, that uh, kind of, uh, I don't think they called it a mock shoe, but that like kind of corn salad under it. I mean, what, you had the cocktails. What did you think of the cocktails? You know, I mean, they they don't have a full liquor license, so they're kind of like wine or sake based. I thought they were, right. I thought they were flavorful. I think they're working on a, a full mixed beverage, so you know, kind of TBA on some of that, but, uh, you know, and I, I had a couple glasses of wine. I think they've got a smart list, uh, you know, kind of focused on South American vintages and, and, you know, it's a comfortable, it's a nice looking room. It was a lively crowd. People are having a good time. Um, again, you know, a place that I had kind of overlooked, uh, and it was good to be reminded they're, they're doing a good job over there. Yeah, the, and the brunch menu looks good, and it's in the Heights, which means you know I, I think it's the law that you have to you know serve brunch in the Heights now, and um, they don't seem to have phoned that in at all. Uh, I would I would definitely go back for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right, Michael, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much.
Hey, great being on. Thanks so much. Take care, my friend. All right. Thank you. And I will be right back with Donette Hanson. I'm joined this week by Donette Hanson. She's the owner of Rainbow Lodge. Donette, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm doing well, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing this. I like to start these conversations at the beginning of a person's career. So could you tell me when you sort of first became interested in the world of uh, restaurants and professional cooking? What a great question. Uh, I hope my memory goes back that far. Uh, So I'm that person that knew what they wanted to do like in junior high. Um, my parents weren't too excited about it. They're, they were bankers and uh, the restaurant business sounded crazy, risky, and all the things that you, you think a banker would think about our industry back in the 1970s and 80s. Um, my path was, I went to Trinity University in San Antonio and got a business degree. I worked in a few restaurants and then I headed to New York to culinary school. And that opened my eyes in many ways. I was 23. I was uh, green. I was a Southerner uh, living in New York. Uh, It was exciting. It was life changing. And most importantly, Eric, it was critical because I don't know if you remember back then, but there weren't a lot of women in the kitchen. Um, I felt like I needed to go to culinary school to have the cred to have good conversation and a successful restaurant as a woman owner. And I'm not waving that woman flag. I'm just telling you, it was so different back then. Well, yeah, no, I can't imagine that there were very many female restaurateurs or female chefs that could like work a kit, you know, work in the kitchen, a professional kitchen. Well, uh, you know, gosh, things have changed so much then, but back then most of the people in the kitchen were men. And, they, and I'm not, you know, bashing that in any way, just uh, they weren't used to working with women. And then to be in charge was even more challenging. So enough said, hey, it worked out great. Um, uh, I love what I do. I feel like I was born for it. I, uh, I don't know if you know this, Eric, but I've taken it in other directions. Uh, it's not with other businesses. And uh, what is this, 2021? So that was 1983. Let's do the math. Right, right. 40, right. 40 years. So, all right. So you, you, you went to culinary school in New York. You came to Houston. Right. And then you, you purchased Rainbow Lodge in 1988. Correct. Um, my uncle started Rainbow Lodge and he was exiting and I was entering the scene and I had a great opportunity there and I acquired it from him. I also changed it quite a bit. Um, back then the lodge was considered well from a culinary standpoint it wasn't a seafood and wild game restaurant uh it was also the the 70s and 80s well started in the 70s i acquired it in the 80s um it was more continental do you remember how popular continental was back then yeah you know i grew up in houston so i remember going to restaurants like Anthony's or maybe the River Oaks Grill or, or Vargas, places like that, right? which is so not me. So the, uh, I grew up 
admiring the great outdoors. I'm a big fly fisher. I grew up in a family that loves to hunt and fish. So I was able to reconceptualize Rainbow Lodge and transform it into <clears throat> something that reflected my personality and my uh, happy spot. And so it took it took a while. I didn't want to lose the existing customers, but I also brought one to bring something new and fresh to the lodge. Uh, and, and it worked out. Yeah. I mean, this is sort of before we had terms like farm to table, right. uh, local seasonal, but I mean, you were kind of, you were exploring some of that maybe even before people really knew what it was. Well, my training in New York was Nouvelle cuisine. Remember that? Uh, there were a lot of zigzags on the plates and swirls and, and, uh, everything was, uh, a lot of pan sauces. And, uh, so I brought some of that, um, and, in terms of technique, um, but yeah, I tried a few things, you know, most of them worked out. Some of them didn't, you can't go this far in, in our business. And you know, this without making a few mistakes, uh, but I learned from them and I still love what I do. I, it's, I'm just fascinated by it. Yeah. So, I mean, you were obviously in the kitchen in the beginning. Like when did you sort of start like moving more into that restaurateur role and hiring chefs? Well, as soon as I could afford it. And uh, my intent with culinary school was really not to be the chef, but to have the input and have the respect, like I mentioned. And I still have, I still participate in menu creation and direction every day. So to answer your question specifically, I would say I found my, you know, we, I, I acquired a lot of good cooks, uh, but I couldn't say I had a real spearhead in the kitchen back in 88. So it was probably the early nineties before I found people I could work with that shared my inspiration and goals. Uh, there was, it was a swinging door for a while. There were people coming and going <laughs> at the helm of the kitchen because I was still learning what my customers wanted. Uh, and I was, you know, trying not to be too pushy with people. And it was just about the time being a chef was cool. And so uh, a few places used, a few people used us as stepping stones and that's okay. Hey, I get it. Uh, but they were more passing through than sticking. But um, you know, that's part of it, Eric. That's just, uh, and, and what that's developed into for me now at my age uh, and maturity, if you want to call it that, is uh, it's okay to be a trainer and a, and a uh, part of a person's path. Uh, lots of people that you write about have come through my kitchen, as you can imagine. Oh, I'm sure. And, and you know, I know I've had Alex Brennan Martin on the show you know, he takes a lot of pride in that, that, that Brennan's is a, a stopping point for people that are right serious about their careers. And I'm sure you see Rainbow Lodge kind of the same way. I do. And, and, uh, and Alex and I have had that conversation over a drink or two. So I get it. Who are some of the names that you've worked with over the years? I mean, I, I think just to put it in context, I think my first visit to Rainbow Lodge may have been in the Randy Rucker era. So Randy kind of Rucker. in the early yeah. uh, 2010s. Yeah. Uh, he was so young then, and uh, uh, it was a lot of fun bringing Randy in. He, we're still friends. He um, he brought a freshness to the lodge uh, that I was looking for, and also, frankly, Eric, and you you probably agree with this attention. 
you know, uh, when you're a, when you're a 40 year old restaurant, you've got to make some waves and do some things because Houston's full of five-year-old restaurants, right? Uh, and, Houston's uh, full of uh, 16, you know, 18 month old well, restaurants, right? You're right. Uh, and, and we'll see, I've enjoyed them all, you know, but Randy was fun. Um, I've had uh, women chefs, men chefs. Uh, I remember this, one of my first chefs that, uh, this all in publicity in this form, the internet was coming out, was a guy named Jimmy Mitchell, who was hilarious. Have you ever heard of him or know him? No, I don't think we ever met. He was, um, he's still in the business. He was funny. He dressed like Elvis. (laughs) That was his hobby. (laughs) And uh, I have uh, interesting memories of that. Uh, Randy, of course, uh, uh, Mark Schmidt, who's with me now, has made two passes through the lodge. Um, We get along great. Uh, he understands the foundation roots and direction of the lodge. And he's like family to me. Uh, I've had some wonderful pastry chefs. I don't know if you know, Laura Crusette. I'm in New Mexico right now. I have a business here and uh, Laura Crusette is up here too. She used to be the pastry chef at Rainbow Lodge and she now has her own restaurant in Los Alamos. Very proud of her. Um, uh, but there's, yeah, there's been quite a few. There's also been some great head. I don't like the word sous chef, but let's just say lead cooks uh, that have come through the lodge that are running all the restaurants in town that are just on fire right now. So <laughs> that's been great. How would you say the, the food has changed over the years? I mean, you had, you, you came to it with a pretty clear vision, but have you been able to sort of get people to, to eat things that they like, turn their noses up at in 1988? Ooh, great question. Um, well, let me answer that in both parts. We introduced weird things that were trending back in the 90s, like ostrich, uh, which just came in and went out. You know, it, and, and so did I turn people on to ostrich that maybe have never eaten it? Yes. Was I crazy about it? No. Uh, is that still on the menu? No. So novelty things I'm not into, um, but game in general, since I grew up that way, I'm very comfortable with things that you might harvest as a, a hunter or an angler in North America. So I watch people every day eat elk, bison, um, antelope, of course, venison, but that's a broad term for things everything, everything from Australia to North America. Um, and, and I still do that. And I'm still proud of that. And uh, do styles of cooking, yes, it was all super heavy sauces and, and everything was thickened with flowers and roux. And now, you know, I've got gardens, beehives. I'm bringing that right to you. And I've been doing that a long time. Even back on Birdsaw, we had gardens that would trail down that, that uh, back slope all the way to the water. I could get squash blossoms for three months. So, um, I feel like I was part of that and some of it has stuck with us and some of it, uh, I tried to stay away from trends, but uh, I feel like I have a solid idea of what our foundation is. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned the, the restaurant on Birdsall. I mean, nominally the, the excuse for our, our doing this is that you're celebrating 15 years on Ella. How about that? I, I mean, I was not, you know, it, professionally in the food world. I was, I was just a guy who liked, restaurants in in 2006 but i i remember that being a pretty big deal that you packed up and moved Ooh, um, yeah 
I mean, looking back on it, kind of what what inspired that change? And and I mean, I, obviously, it's worked out for you. It, well, it has, but it was scary. Uh, looking back, it's just another chapter in what's been a, a, a blast. But Eric, you're right. That happened in 2006. My lease ended and, and the log cabin where I am now was for sale. So while I, I was scared to death, I was uh, uh, disappointed that we couldn't make it work over there at Birdsall. But wow, <laughs> look at what's happened to rents and real estate from 2006 to 2021. Oh, my goodness. What a move. What a what an incredibly uh, fortuitous move. And I'm I feel blessed now, but I'll, you're right, scared the you know what out of me back then, because it uh, my my crowd was River Oats. Right. I was in their backyard and I'm moving to this area of town. And while while Oak Forest, Timber Grove, Lazy Brook has been around a while. Look at it now. I mean, it is full of exciting foodies it is full of families it has the uh, average income and the um, average amount that people spend on on dining has just exploded so i'm not a visionary but it really was a a fantastic move yeah i mean uh certainly ahead of the curve i mean the heights as a dining destination didn't really pick up until for another i mean you were probably four or five years you know, even even in the Heights, which is, you know, a little bit closer and a little more central, you, you probably had uh, you probably had uh, whatchamacallit, uh, glass wall and uh, yeah, uh, uh, shoot, I can't, Claire's Claire Smith's place. Uh, it, the, the one before Alice Blue, whose name I can't think of. Canopy. Canopy. Shade. Yeah. Shade. Shade. That's right. Shade. Shade. Uh, and I love Claire. Um, you know, uh, do you think? Do you feel like I'm truly in the Heights? I feel like I'm no, on the no, 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 side kind of no, no, no. If I, if I call that the Heights, I get very angry emails, <laughs> and messages right? on social media. No, crazy? you are Easy Brook Timber Grove, uh, as as I understand where the boundaries are. You're, you're, I know, and I still I say North Side of the Heights because that's what everybody recognizes. But you're right; I've gotten some interesting feedback when I say that. But uh, specifically to the North Side of the Heights, or uh, Lazy Brook, Timber Grove, Oak Forest, even Garden Oaks, which is where my first home is. And, and even the people in Shady Acres want a piece of that. You know what it like? <laughs> no, we're not. That's not the Heights. That's Shady Acres, right? That's a whole. How about that? I get I get emails about very people are very specific. They're very proud of their neighborhoods. They love to tell me about them. Right. And I remember when 21st Street, well, 18, 19 and 20 and now 21 were just shit flooded out shacks. And now there's a burger beer joint on every corner, um, ice houses. It's really cool. And, and if I'm the anchor on the West end of all that, happy to be, uh, it's, it's been a blast in this neighborhood. And, and to segue into this whole pandemic thing, um, I'm glad that I moved into more of a neighborhood and less of a commercial zone back in 06, or let me say, I maybe wasn't at the time, but it's really worked out for Rainbow Lodge because during the pandemic, not only did we embrace our neighborhood, but they embraced us. And I found that I shifted, uh, you, you know, we, I think that word pivot is overused now when describing what we all did during the pandemic. But um, 
But but you were really smart. I mean, you you embraced to go. You embraced family meals. Right. You did that thing where if somebody came, they got a gift card for a free meal later. I mean, I mean, I just started stapling these little gift cards to the bags, and um, we had to. I, I was, I, you know, that was an overnight problem, sort right. They closed us down, and and Rainbow Lodge. I mean. Let's say Brainbow Lodge, Brennan's Tony's. We're not in the to, we weren't in the to go business, right? There was some catering, but we didn't have ten thousand bags with our logo on it <laughs> for to go orders. And and but you know what? Bless my team, they jumped in. Uh, Mark Burrell, Tim Neely, the whole group just said, "Okay, here's what we're going to do." Our governor uh, cooperated, let us sell uh, liquor and wine out the door, and um, we rode it, man. We rode the wave. We had to. Yeah. And it, I, I mean, I, as I was sort of looking at creative menus, creative options, you guys figured it out faster, I think, than just about anywhere else in town. Well, thank you. That's, I credit my team for that. Um, Mark Schmidt, we knew, so let's look at it my way. I didn't think people were going to be ordering elk chops and rainbow trout with lump crab to go maybe for their anniversary or for, for a special night, but I wanted to feed my neighborhood. So we all of a sudden were doing um, crunchy vegetable salads for four in a, in a container that they could take home and, you know, sit around and eat. Frankly, we're, we, we've always done chicken fried venison at lunch, but now we did that and chicken fried steak because that was the comfort level of the people. And truthfully, Eric, I, I speak for myself and maybe for you too. That's what I wanted during that pandemic. Yeah, that's all any all anybody wanted was fried chicken, spaghetti and meatballs. You right. Know, comfort. Real comfort, classic. Comfort. Yeah. And um, and so I had to figure out how to present it, right? Because that's important to me, plating and presentation. And then um some food just doesn't travel well, as you know. And uh But I didn't want to lose focus on who we were. So if you looked at my first menus that came out in March of 2020, they were all over the place. I have game meats. I have game meats raw that you can go home and throw on the grill. I have chicken fried steak and venison. And then I thought, well, what about the people that love our gumbo and want our, uh, you know, scallops or whatever? So we, at first it was everything. And then we kind of fine-tuned it to what people wanted, what I could get. Because then, you know, let's talk about uh, supply chain. But uh, it's been quite a ride. Yeah. I mean, how is it How is it for you now? I mean, my, my sense in talking to some of the restaurateurs around town is that it feels a lot more like normal these days. Totally. My sales are actually up um, huge. And I don't intend to let go of the whole to-go online ordering side if it if anything, I've improved the experience because that was another kind of weird thing that last March, there were so many companies throwing out online ordering systems and you wanted to go with something affordable, right? Because you didn't know how long this was going to last, but effective. And so we're, we've switched and, and have a few different, tried a few different formats. So I tend to keep that side of it, but our dine-in business. And then, you know, I, I just invested in our patio huge last year uh it has bless Houstonians man they're they're eating out and and I'm loving it yeah I mean you've so right I mean you expanded the patio last year you've made a number of changes to the space over the years do you want to maybe sort of talk about the different uh renovations you've you've gone through 
Well, for those who have maybe haven't been to that location, it is a 112-year-old log cabin. So right there are some challenges. Um, I did, have not changed the bones of the building. Uh, that's important. It's a, it's a really cool space. But I've modernized the lighting, um, the course, all the kitchen equipment over the years. We completely redid the bar last year during the downtime. I know you're friends with Erin Hicks and she came over and we drank a few bottles of wine and, and talked about how we could make it uh, a fun, up-to-date, um, cool bar, incorporating what, what I love. And have, I don't know if you've seen our, have you ever seen our Tidefly bar, Eric, the big car? I have, yeah, it's been, it's been a couple of years. So you have to build the room around that which she did a great job of. And, and uh, like I said, many bottles of wine and champagne and conversations and about six months of hard work. And, and so we've transformed the bar to take in the view, the hand-carved trout stream and, and some fantastic drinks by Mark Burrell and team. Uh, the patio, you know, the grounds were always there. Most restaurants don't deal with that expense, but uh, it has giveth back this past year. Uh, we invested in uh, lighting, uh, air movement, um, just finishes on the deck. I've ordered a huge, I've made a huge patio furniture order. It's delayed many months. So that's been a little disappointing, but I'm in that business up here too. And I understand the challenges of all that. Uh, staffing um set up out there you know keeping it comfortable for guests but also for my team who doesn't it's hard to run up and down stairs all day on that multi-level deck uh but it's all worked out and, and you know so a big chunk of my business before it was weddings well <laughs> there were no weddings during pandemic or if if there were they were smaller spaced out you know a whole different feel to it so um, so we didn't get that revenue off the patio that we're used to. So, so we just shifted to dining outside and it's, it's God bless you, Estonians. They wouldn't sit out there two years ago, 115 degrees and mosquitoes as big as a quarter, but they will now. Well, yeah. If you give us the choice between cooking <laughs> for ourselves or eating in the heat, we apparently we choose eating in the heat. Well, during a pandemic, well, what do you think is going to happen here this next uh, season? I mean, it's it's so hard to predict, but uh, you know, every place that I go is just so busy, yeah. Especially on the weekends, that I, I think people are just excited to see each other again. They're they're excited to connect again, and they're going to be out. So I think, you know, not at four o'clock on August, but like, right? You know, maybe you just eat a little later and and deal with it. I, I think that's how it's going to go down. I listen. I've been wanting to gather with my friends. I. I'm sure you have. And I'm, um, I'm grateful that people are doing it again. And I, <laughs> I've waited, we've all waited 18 months. I thought it would be a little bit shorter, but I'm, I'm thrilled. And I, I'm eating out uh, just for the fun of getting together with people, you know. Have you been anywhere locally that you were really excited about? Any place new? In Houston? Yeah. Yeah. I've been up here in Santa Fe for a couple of months. Um, enjoying that scene uh let me see the latest places in houston let me let me circle back to you on that all right because you know what i'm a i'm a creature of habit i love my i've got my margarita joints and my my carne asada joints and my and so you know i i'm dying to get over to squabble because half that team worked with me and uh but i haven't been yet 
and it's it's in my backyard you know i need to i need to get over there yeah you got to go uh, they do some cool uh, stuff over there yeah so you you mentioned you have a couple other businesses um what else are you working on uh, i have a hunting and fishing lodge in south texas it is more of a uh it's a place that you go and stay and my it's i'm partners with my brother and we take you out hunting or fishing mostly fishing it's on the coast it's on the water um sleeps 25 people it's not a dining destination but it's more like a small hotel so i've really learned a lot about that i've had we've had it four years um and then i just uh have started i've partnered with a builder here in northern new mexico and we're building spec homes because everybody's moving out of the big cities and that's been a blast that's not the hospitality business but i'll tell you what there's a lot of similarities you're dealing with people suppliers uh, the environment, the weather, uh, I'm enjoying it. Well, and, and a lot of people who are what I assume want very specific things from the end product, right? <laughs> Just like, you know, if, if you thought, uh, brides and grooms were fussy, I can only imagine what home buyers are like. Right on. You're exactly right. And that, um, well, I've got great partners helping me with all of this, uh, and they're very talented and, and not only the Sheila shell, uh, you know, my partner, Sheila, She's doing all the finishes. I'm more the finance, insurance, banking side of the thing. Then we have a wonderful builder we partner with here. But uh, but you're right; it's making people happy, and that makes me happy. So so 15 years on Ella. I mean, do you do you have sort of goals for the next maybe two to three years? Things you'd like to see Rainbow Lodge accomplish? Thank you. I do. Uh, first of all, I have started hiring younger people because I am feeling all of my almost 60 years here. Uh, yes, I am. I'd really have hired two new managers, uh, that are younger and they bring a lot of fresh, bright ideas to the lodge. You know, Eric, my biggest challenge is keeping the lodge interesting and relevant. Um, I've always wanted to be that place where people make memories, but I don't want to be that place where you just go to the prom. I've met, if you know me, that's not my <laughs> style. And so, um, I want to expand uh, my, so my gardens are a big part of my overall concept. Uh, not, I can't grow enough to supply the restaurant with everything, but I can uh, highlight those. And I am trying to teach these younger managers to, how to, it's one thing to say, okay, I grow lettuce. Well, everybody grows lettuce. That's easy. You can grow that in your, in a window. Um, so another thing to teach them about, uh, green and, you know, Randy, Randy enjoyed this and he brought a lot to the table, so to speak with this, we would grow interesting things, not weird things that people don't want to eat, but things that do well in that unforgiving Houston climate, um, and incorporate them into the dish in a way where they're notable, but, but, uh, comfortable. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, so I'm, I'm looking to expand on that. I'm, I'm having a, a great time with Mark Burrell and the wine department and the um, beverage side, whether it's alcohol or non-alcohol. Um, both my Marks, Mark Burrell and Mark Schmidt, work very well together, where, whether they're making syrups for drinks or infusing things, fermenting things. I'm enjoying that. Um, but Eric, I'm not going to stray too far from what's worked for me for 40 years. 
well, 33 for me and 40 for the lodge. Um, and that's, um, uh, my menu is influenced from Texas, Louisiana, New Mexico, Gulf Coast, always has been. And New Mexico, just because I love New Mexico, um, love chilies, love flavors. And, and game, you know, my new manager is, one of my new managers grew up on the King Ranch and he's, uh, he brings that knowledge of game and, and ranching to the table. He can talk about it to people and I'm, I'm excited about that. Well, good. I mean, that honestly seems like a pretty good place to wrap this up. Um, before I let you go, we have to, we have to play the lightning round. Five easy questions, five short answers. Just say the first thing that comes to mind. Donette Hansen, are you ready? I think so. What are we doing? (laughs) My first question is, what is your favorite ingredient? Wow. Ginger and garlic together. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Super Tramp. Who is your favorite Houston sports figure, past or present? I think Simone Biles is awesome. That's a great answer. All right. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. God, I'm torn on this one. Um, (laughs) I'm a Whataburger person. Nothing wrong with that. Nope. Specifically a Bob, a breakfast on a bun. It's my go-to when I'm heading out fishing. (laughs) All right. When you, when you, Order a pizza. What are your go-to toppings? I'm traditional. Um, cheese and pepperoni, mozzarella and basil, if they have it. All right, Donette, give me the, the website and everything for Rainbow Live so people can. Sure. Thank you. Don't I get to ask you something now? Sure. Ask away. No, I'm teasing. All right. What's your favorite uh, fast food? So it's Jack of the Box egg rolls. Nice. We've done, we've done 195 of these and only like two or three people have said that. And I... I don't understand why they're not more popular. You know what? I'm going to try them now. <laughs> yeah, they're 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 not good egg rolls, right? Just like Jack in the Box tacos aren't good tacos. Right. They're good for they're good Jack in the Box egg rolls. I I can't really explain okay. it, uh, but they're crunchy and they come with the sweet and sour dipping sauce and. So they have that craveability factor. Very high on the craveability scale. We we're always looking for that. Okay, website rainbow lodgecom Got we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook, all those things. Awesome. Thank you so much. It was nice visiting with you. Thanks for taking the time. You bet. Have a great week. You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>